0: So let us just remind ourselves what we believe about God's word. Because here at Southside Bible Fellowship, we continue to believe that since the Bible is the word of God, and everyone who believes in Jesus Christ is a child of God, let us say it together, the Bible is God's word for us. If your memory Serves you right. Then you remember that last time I was here, we looked at Paul in Corinth. When he went to Berea, the Jews that he had left in Corinth followed him to bring trouble there. But we were told that the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Sorry, Thessalonica, not Corinth. When they heard Paul speak, when they heard his message, they listened to him and then they went back and referred to God's word to see whether what Paul was saying was true. And every time they confirmed what he was saying, they believed. But the Jews that were left in Thessalonica came down and caused trouble. And therefore, Paul left Berea and went to Athens, a Greek city, a city that has a population of about 10,000 people, but also has about 3,000 statues of gods. They... In, in, in Athens, they have philosophers, they are intellectuals, they think, they spend their day thinking and talking, and among them we have the Pecureans, which believe that everything came from matter and will return to matter, they don't believe In God controlling the world. In fact, they believe if there is a God, he has nothing to do with the creation. And then you have the Stoics. They believe that God is found in everything, including human beings and those. So therefore, they believe that there are so many gods. And that's why in this city... There are temples of gods because they want to try and appreciate every type of a god that exists. So Paul finds himself in this city, and because of their idol worship, he is greatly disturbed. He is distressed. He is infuriated. He doesn't like it. He feels so angry because he knows the true God, and here are people who are lost and paying allegiance to false gods. And therefore, the first place Paul goes is the synagogue, where he finds God-fearing Jews and Greeks, and he reasons with them. And then he goes to the marketplace to reason with the intellectuals. They take hold of him, and they bring him to a court that takes place in a hill, wanting to hear him, not because they are interested with the gospel that he's sharing, but because they want to satisfy their curiosity. They think Paul is advocating for other gods, and they want to hear about those gods probably because they want to give those gods an opportunity as well, a place in their temples, maybe even create a statue for the kind of gods that Paul seems to be advocating for. I think when you look at our culture today it's not so different from this city that is filled with idol worship because we we live in a culture that uh, is dominated by ungodliness a culture that attempts to wipe god ...out of the picture. It's a culture that promotes ungodliness. Rampart shooting. We have exalted homosexuality and other evils. There's a lot of drug abuse. There's a lot of ungodliness going on. And as a Christian, when you choose to stand for righteousness you are likely to be discriminated or even be called a religious bigot. It's a culture that does not only promote ungodliness, but it tries to silence those who want to be godly. This is a culture that our children are growing in. It's the culture that our grandchildren are growing in. It's the culture that we are living in. And as a Christian, you are tempted to be quiet. Because there's a pressure for you to accept, to affirm the ungodliness that goes on. And that's why this morning I'm asking, as a Christian, how do you respond when ungodliness increases around you. When you see the distortion of God's Word, when you see the compromise that we have even in our churches today, when you see the misleading of our children. And parents being afraid of telling their children what to do. In fact, it's the children who tell their parents what to do. When you see sexual immorality, and you can see it everywhere today, how do you respond as a Christian? Do you Go back to your house, to your closet, close your doors and hope that a miracle will happen? Do you join a political movement that seems to be advocating for something good so that you can make a difference in your society? Or do you walk on the streets demonstrating against the evils that are going on? How do you respond as a Christian when ungodliness increases around you? Paul finds himself in a situation like that. There's ungodliness everywhere, and he is greatly distressed. That's the word that Luke uses, but it's, it's the word that the NIV uses, but it's, he, what he feels is stronger than that. He is boiling inside. And, and, and we feel the same sometimes. You know, you you see things happening, and you just feel like getting all your anger out. But will that make a difference? In fact, that's one of the reasons Christians are considered to be haters, because we respond with hate instead of love. We allow our emotions to get on the way when we see the increase of ungodliness. But how should you Respond. I think there is something that we can learn from Paul as he faces these intellectuals when he tries to present Christ to them and they bring him before this court that meets on a hill so that they can hear. What he has to say so that they can satisfy their itching ears. If you turn with me to verse 22 of Acts chapter 17, when they bring him before this court of Areopagus, where they make him stand before them, they say to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting to us. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. Now, we are given a background of the Athenians here. We are told all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So as they make Paul stand before them, their interest has nothing to do with the gospel that Paul is proclaiming It has everything to do with the new idea that he seems to be presenting to them. These are intellectuals. They spend their time doing nothing except talking and listening to new ideas. So in verse 22, Paul seizes the opportunity. He sees this as an opportunity to point them to Christ. And he says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. So Paul is telling them, first of all, you are thinking about God is wrong. Because the God that made the heaven and earth is the creator and you cannot put him in a house. You cannot lock him in a box. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples, Made with human hands. Sorry, that is verse 24. I was wondering why you are looking at me that way. In verse 22, sorry for that, Paul stood up in the meeting. And said, People of Athens, yeah, I missed that, sorry. I see that in every way you are very religious. He begins by commending them. I see that in every way you are very religious. What is Paul doing here? Paul is meeting them where they are. It would have been easier for him to start condemning them, but he he commends them, you are religious. See, being a religious person means that you believe in something. There is something that you worship. Something or someone. Not necessarily God, but there is something that you pay allegiance to. You are a religious person. If there is something that you worship. Whether you worship yourself, you worship money, you worship idols. You are a religious person whenever... There is something that you worship. So Paul commends them. I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, because you worship something, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown. God. Now, remember, Paul knows that these people are educated, they are philosophers, they spend their time thinking and sharing ideas. He knows that. He knows that they are thinkers. But he, he's using their own language. He's using a language that they can understand. And he tells them that I saw uh, an altar with inscriptions to an unknown God. These people had decided to even have a place for a God that they knew nothing about. Because they didn't want to, to displease any other God. They wanted to be nice to all the gods. And then Paul says, So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. Now that's an insult. He's addressing philosophers here, he's addressing people who are supposed to know everything. He's addressing people that have thought almost every question and have answered those questions. And he's telling them, as far as your object of worship, you are ignorant. You claim to know, but there is a God that you don't know. And I am going to proclaim to you that God. I think one of the insights that I get here is that when you meet people who claim to know a lot, people who claim to have discovered something, people who may tell you that the God you believe in is not the true God, or even the Bible that you read is just a book that was written by men, you cannot trust it. People who claim to be smarter, when you meet those people and you listen to them and they may want to get into emotions, do not allow it. You need to realize that even though they claim to know, they are ignorant. They don't know. So you should actually feel pity for them. When you have visitors come to you, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they are good at visiting people. Don't look at them with, uh, with anger. Do not respond angry to them. You need to realize that they are ignorant. You need to see it as an opportunity for you to reach out to them. You see, Christians, we always make this mistake where we allow our emotions to take over and then we say it is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we fail to be as wise as the serpent. You think Jehovah Witnesses wake up in the morning and they say, we know the truth, we don't like it, and we want to mislead people. Let's go and mislead them. You think that's what they say? They believe what they are teaching. And if you believe that you know the truth, then let that truth control how you respond. Be the Christ that they can see. They are ignorant. Paul is saying some strong words here, but he's also being very sensitive. This is what I'm going to proclaim to you. And then he he tells them about God. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not the kind of God that you can put somewhere. You You can reposition a statue, but you cannot reposition God. God repositions you. You can change the color of a statue, but you, can to- you cannot change the color of God. You can transform a statue, you can make it what you want, but you cannot transform God. God transforms you. And if you, redu- you, you reduce him to a statue... It's not because you want him to control you. It's because you want to control him. And that's what people want. In fact, this is one of the reasons God, we, we try to walk away from creation. Because if we can acknowledge God as the creator, then we will have to acknowledge him as the Lord. And so the best way of avoiding that is coming up with an alternative explanation. And that's why we talk about Evolution. Because that way, we can wipe God away from the picture, and we can take control. And if we take control, then we will not be accountable to God. And Paul is telling them that the God who created the heaven and earth, the God who made the world and everything in it, including you, is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is in control and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything rather he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else so the god that created is the god that gives life to his creation they are listening And Paul continues to speak. He says from one mind, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out the appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God, listen to this, did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. He's telling them this God that created gave life to his creation. And he desires that his people relate with him. He desires a relationship with his people. He created them. He gave them life. And he desires that they seek him. And find him so that he can have a relationship with them. He's telling them, if you don't have a relationship with this God, the Lord of heaven and earth, the one that gives life, the creator of everything, you are missing something. And that's the message that we have. For each one of us today, if, if you don't have a relationship with God, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord through Jesus Christ, you are missing something because He created us to have a relationship with Him. Paul is speaking to philosophers here, thinkers, intellectuals, Educated individuals. And he tells them... In verse 28, For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets, he quotes their own poets. He's using their language. Some of your own poets have said... We are his offsprings. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think. Because this is what you are doing. You are thinking. You are making God a figment of your imagination. You are trying to recreate him. We should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver that, or stone, an image made by human design and skill. And then he gives them a warning, and he says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. In the past. Again, There is something to learn here. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. You see, your past ended the day you heard the gospel. Whether you believed it or not, that's when your ignorance ended. That is your past. When you heard the gospel that marked the end of your ignorance. Because now the unknown has become known to you. As a Christian, every time you hear the truth of God's word, your ignorance ignorance comes to an end. You may live with unforgiveness, And you don't know really what God expects of you. When you hear the truth of God's word and you realize God wants me to forgive, you have no excuse. The days of ignorance are over. Because what you didn't know, you now know. You are now accountable. To God. You see, when you realize that, you will want to avoid hearing the truth. That becomes the temptation. Because every time we hear the truth, we are accountable to that truth. Every time, we have no excuse. And so Paul is telling them here, you have been ignorant. I I understand that. But now it's over. Because God has revealed himself in his son. And because you can now hear and you now know the unknown God. He is the creator of the heaven and the earth. He says... In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Now, this is a very strong statement. All people everywhere. Not some people, somewhere. All people everywhere. God is commanding people to repent. That means when we refuse to repent, we are disobeying God's command. Repentance here is a total turnaround from false worship to the worship of the true and living God. And then he points them to Christ. He says, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man referring to Jesus he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. He's saying, if you don't repent, there will be a judgment. There will be a judgment. God is the creator who gives life. God created people so that they can have a relationship with him. And God will hold people accountable on the basis of a relationship with him. The reason people will go to hell will be because they don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Paul is teaching us something here. He's helping us answer the question, how do we respond when ungodliness increases around us? And the simple answer to this is, we point people to Christ. We point people to Christ. Only the gospel can transform a culture. Only the gospel can change lives. Only Jesus can transform people. And as Christians, if we truly believe in the power of the gospel, if we have experienced the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, if we have experienced the forgiveness of sins and the transformation that the Holy Spirit brings to us, if we have experienced the power of God, so when we see ungodliness increase in uh, around us, in our society, in our culture, instead of giving up and allowing ourselves to be discouraged, instead of surrendering to the culture and allowing things to go on as they should, instead of hiding ourselves and uh, being afraid of identifying with Jesus Christ, we should use every available opportunity to point people to Jesus Christ. Because only Jesus can take someone who is evil and transform him to someone who is good. Only Jesus can take a drug addict. And make him or her sober. Only Jesus can open the eyes of the blind. Only Jesus can bring healing. Only Jesus can bring transformation. And if you believe that, then every opportunity you get in this life, you will want to use it to point people to Christ. And these opportunities come to us. A neighbor gets sick, that's an opportunity. You visit that neighbor and you share with them the comfort that we have in Jesus Christ. There's a funeral. That's an opportunity. Go there and give them the encouragement that comes from the Lord. Use it to point them to Christ. Remind them that there is someone who owns this life. There is someone that we can turn to who has promised to wipe away our tears. There's a wedding. That's an opportunity. Go there. Remind them of the Lord and the goodness of God. A friend at school is having troubles because their parents are divorcing use that as an opportunity to encourage them. Use that as an opportunity to point them to Jesus Christ. One of your schoolmates is sick. Use that as an opportunity. We have so many areas that we can use, so many opportunities that we can use to point people to Christ. And I'm telling you, if you truly believe in the power of the gospel you will not only be praying for those opportunities you will take advantage of them and this is what paul is doing here now the temptation will be to do or to want to do what jeremiah says in verse in chapter 20 verse 9 jeremiah says sometimes i think i will not mention his message he's tempted not to To share God's word. And then he says. I feel like I will not speak. Or I should not speak as his messenger anymore. But then his message becomes. Like a fire locked inside me. Burning in my heart. And so. I am tempted not to speak it. But then it begins to burn in me and I cannot hold it back. You see, as a Christian, when you see the increase of evil and you feel like you are boiling inside, you can feel the rage, the discouragement, the despair, and everything that is going on, that should make you want to point people to Christ. You will not change a culture by joining a political movement. You will not change a culture by demonstrating on the streets. You will transform a culture by pointing people to Jesus Christ. Because only Jesus has the power to transform lives. And if you believe in the gospel and the power of God... My encouragement to you this morning, the challenge to you this morning is use the opportunities that God brings to you to point people to Christ. Father, I thank you and I bless your name for your faithfulness and for your word. I pray that, Lord, as you continue to speak to us and to teach us, that, Lord, you may use us as your vessels. I pray for each one of us today, Lord, as we walk in this community to invite people to the family fun day so that we can point them to you. We pray that you may use us as your vessels. We pray that you may give us the wisdom the sensitivity that is needed, and even the words that are needed, Lord, to do so. The temptations to avoid doing your will are so many. But we know, Lord, that you have also provided us with the strength and the confidence and the Holy Spirit in us who enables us to obey you and to follow you and to want to please you. Lord, I want to thank you for everyone who is here this morning. Thank you, Father, for those that are joining us online. And I'm praying, Lord, that you continue to minister to us as a church and as individuals so that together as we become more like Jesus, we may desire to point people to you. In Jesus' name, amen.